You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rainer Roberts. Uh, this week, it's currently the 21st of May. It's my birthday tomorrow. And yeah, what I've been working on mostly is the Kickstarter for Time of the Cat. If you haven't checked it out, I recommend you do. There's lots of cool rewards, as usual. Uh, and it's exciting to be back in uh, working on a, a Kickstarter. There's an exciting energy around these sort of projects. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. Okay, our current fiction serial is Of Knives and Night Blooms. And we are up to Chapter 9, In the Eye of the Basilisk. Dio had run the basilisk dozens of times in his life. When you spent your childhood going from pillar to post, from auntie to auntie, and the River Divine is the most common highway in your country, well, stood to reason. Add to that his time working on actual riverboats, and he'd long since lost track of how many times he had crossed that particular part of the river. It was no surprise to him then, in the late morning of the third day of their voyage, when the water surrounding the silken hair went dark green all of a sudden, as if they'd passed into a shadowy patch of a particularly virulent algae. He didn't even think of it until Nimue, trudging around the deck as usual, cried out and stepped back from the rail in alarm. "'Oh,' said Valeria, not looking up from the complex card game she was playing with Icaros a little way from them. Are we at the basilisk? Sacred flame! gasped Nimoy. What is happening to the water? It's just what the river does, said Dio. Don't you come from a palace full of magic? Not this kind of magic, she said, deeply unsettled. Why is the water so very green? Basilisk venom, said Valeria without hesitation. More importantly, does sacred flame count as swearing where you come from? You've been around sailors for three days. Surely you could do better than that. Dio knew that the priests of death were dangerous people. But over the last few days, he'd come to only know them as the declawed versions of themselves, who liked to snipe and bicker. He wasn't as afraid of them as he probably should be. Right now he rolled his eyes at Valeria and beckoned Nimue to join him at the bow of the ship. See that tall column of basalt up ahead, he pointed out. That's the eye of the basilisk. The green waters around them swirled and churned as if the gods themselves were boiling broth. The waters ahead grew angrier and wilder the closer you got to the imposing basilisk. Is the water really venom? Nimoy asked nervously. No, that's just Valeria being a bitch. The basilisk is a sacred reminder of one of the old nameless gods. So magic gets a bit frenetic about it, but the captain's an old hand. He'll sail us through safely. Nimoy turned large eyes up to him. When you say frenetic, what does it do to people who have magic? Dio bit his lip. Nimoy, do you have magic? Like your mother? 
Not like my mother, she said immediately. Her magic is beyond what most can reach for. Interesting. But you have some. Dio wasn't really sure how magic worked. He'd had a friend, Matteo, when he was young. Matteo had shown a promise and was eventually apprenticed off to a fire mage out near Chalcedony. Other than that, Dio's main experience with magicians were the hushed conversations between his aunties that he was not supposed to hear about smuggling this or that woman across borders because her husband or brother had discovered she could work magic and was likely to report her to the authorities. The vigils had to know enough about magic to enforce the laws, but they only concerned themselves with what was forbidden. Dio had done his best to memorise the various legislations on the topic, but they were only available in library tomes, printed small. He'd never made much headway. A little, Nimue confessed, in a very small voice. I can make things float sometimes, minor air magic. If I was trained, I might be able to fly eventually. That's not small, Dio said, impressed. That's good, isn't it? I haven't been trained, though. She sounded disappointed. Because you're a princess? He wasn't entirely sure of her royal status and whether that meant a title or not. Nimue looked sombre. The Empress has many nephews, nieces, grandchildren. Royal educations get spread out among the various academies, so we represent a range of different options when selecting our marriages and vocations. Too many cousins of my generation have strong magic and were already sent off for training with the House of Petals or the House of Platinum by the time my turn came to be chosen. They thought I'd be better off with languages and diplomacy instead. And that wasn't what you wanted? Dear could understand that at least, the disappointment of not getting to do what you most hoped for. Nimue sighed, her gaze fixed on the roiling deep emerald water as the river barge made its slow and steady way forward. I asked to go to the House of Steel and become a knight like my father. Of all the academies, that was the one I longed to join. But I was too short at twelve when they selected the pages. Then I thought maybe something else physical. In the House of Madrigal, I could have learned the Bardic arts, dance. I loved to be outside. And the House of Pegasus would at least let me ride more often, perhaps learn to specialise in a sport. But neither of them wanted me either. I was never able to prove I was more than mediocre at anything. Anything I enjoyed. The House of Velvet is where they put all the Imperial children who don't show a particular excellence at anything. Seems the wrong way round, said Dio. Wouldn't they want to pick the best for that sort of thing? Diplomacy and languages. For someone like him, who'd been obsessing for so long about joining the vigils, that sounded a lot like spycraft. Specialised work. I suppose it's the default skill required for a royal, said Nimue, wistfully. Helps us to survive a dull marriage in a foreign court, which is where most of us are destined. Something suddenly occurred to Dio. Is that why you're going to Phoenix Burning? To be married off? She seemed awfully young for that. 
He had several younger cousins, and the aunties would have words to say if any of them came home with a spouse before the age of twenty, let alone got themselves or someone else pregnant. Nimue laughed a little. At least he'd cheered her up. The talentless and mediocre had to stick together. It's not my wedding, she said. Mother's the one on the trading block. She was my age when she had me. I suppose they think she's good for another round of heirs in a new country. Interesting. Dio had not heard a whisper about an impending marriage in the Divine King's household. There couldn't be many options left to marry off to Calix, considering how many tragic and sudden deaths had occurred around the princes of the realm over the last decade. Royal deaths and royal weddings were the most popular topics of gossip among Dio's aunties, when they weren't passing secrets about female magic. At least he'd have something good to share with them all when this was over. Does the Divine King know your mother is magical? Dio asked, thoughtfully. Perhaps his majesty was looking to add a new round of heirs of his own. There hadn't been a queen in Phoenix Burning for many years. Surely all of the mysterious deaths would scare off most royal houses looking to make a good alliance. I rather think that's her main selling point, said Nimoy. She leaned over the bow, hand outstretched to the water. Why is it so green? I told you, magic, said Dio. Wait, don't touch the water. She was too high up, of course, to be able to reach it. But this was the river divine. Nimue flexed her hand thoughtfully, and the water beneath the bow jumped up to meet her. Green fingers interlocked with hers. Oh, said the girl, breathing faster, but not looking distressed. That's more than I... Pain hit Dio in the gut. He bent over, gasping. Across the deck he saw everyone reacting, Valeria and Icaros holding on to each other to stay upright, the sailors, the captain. They all looked to be in terrible pain. For a moment Dio saw bright threads connecting them all, glowing with golden magic tangled together. Every thread led to the cabin, of course. To Calix. This was the binding spell. Only Nimue was free of it, and she had her own magical business going on. A ball of green water engulfed her hand, and she was smiling, laughing, playing with it as if she had no idea of the danger. The door of the cabin slammed open. Calix stepped out, looking pale and shaky. Her skin was greyish beneath her bright silk robes. Had she slept at all, since her mysterious visit to the temple? What is this? she screamed. Every thread connecting her to nearly everyone on the barge turned emerald green instead of gold. Dio blinked, and then he could not see the threads at all. But Calix herself, Calix was green. She staggered a step or two, practically into Icarus's arms. Of course he was there to catch her. For someone who claimed to resent the bond so much, he was quick to set himself up as Calix's most personal bodyguard. Calix opened her mouth, and something dark and green convulsed up out of her, long strands like seaweed. Icarus stepped aside as she coughed it all up on the deck. Look, cried Nimoy, 
She at least was having a marvellous time. Dio looked. The green water was no longer a ball surrounding her hand. It engulfed her entirely. A thin shimmer of emerald covering every inch of her skin, her clothes, her head. Behind her it spun out, creating the shape of bones and tendons and feathers. Nimue had bright green wings formed from the water of the river. She would get to fly after all, Dio thought wildly. The captain leaned out from the glass-walled wheelhouse, shouting something about the eye of the basilisk. When Dio turned back, he saw the huge column of basalt bearing down on them, closer and closer. The barge was heading directly for it. Nimue spread her wings wide and leapt overboard. Dio threw himself at her, reaching, but as his hands brushed the glowing feathers, he was overwhelmed by a searing sensation of bright, bright pain. It was dark when Dio awoke. He lay on the deck, feeling the gentle lap-lap of the water nearby. The decking was damp underneath him. It was dark, too dark to see anything properly. His head felt fuzzy. What happened? You got a little close to the river, said a low male voice. Familiar, but Dio wasn't sure why. He couldn't immediately place it. Don't worry. Once they steer past the basilisk, all will be well. Have they not done that yet? Dio tried to push himself up on his elbows, but a firm hand shoved him on the chest, pressing him back to the deck. Hush, said the voice. Icarus? No. The voice sounded amused now. My name is Aiden. Have we met? Briefly. Dio thought now of the man with long braids, the one he saw at the nightlock. You're the bow, he said, the fourth assassin. Why is it so dark? Something soft brushed his forehead like a kiss. Sleep it off, Dio, said the voice. You're not in any danger. He lowered himself to the deck again, feeling the reassuring sensation of planks beneath him. Don't assassinate Calix, he mumbled. She's not hurting anyone. Got a wedding to go to. I know all about that, said the other man, his voice dangerously close to Dio's ear. Shh, here we go, nearly through the troubled waters. The barge bucked a little, rocked beneath them. Dio reached out. For a moment in the darkness, he found a hand to hold on to. Aiden, he begged, don't kill anyone. There was a laugh, a deep and attractive sound. No promises, said the man in the darkness. Thank you for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon. 
where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. Or indeed, go buy my current Kickstarter for Time of the Cat, uh, which will be closing on June the 7th, 2023. See you next week. <laughs>